Good morning, Redeemer family. It's good to worship with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to reflect on God's word this morning as we read the entire chapter. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 23. Hear now God's inerrant word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you have sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we've come to the portion, this worship, where we open your word, where we hear from you. And I pray that as we open your word, we may also open our hearts to receive your word. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May it guide us, direct us, so that we may respond in joyful obedience. And so, Lord, will you speak for your children 
are listening. And above all, we pray that Christ will be exalted, Christ will be magnified in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a story about an elderly woman who walked into a church. The friendly usher greeted her at the door and helped her up the flight of stairs and then politely asked, where would you like to sit, ma'am? The front row, please, she answered. Oh no, you don't really want to do that, the usher said. The pastor is really boring. <laughs> do you happen to know who I am, the woman asked. No, he said. I'm the pastor's mother, she replied furiously. <laughs> well, do you know who I am? No, she said. Good, he answered, and he ran away. <laughs> now, I share this silly little anecdote because this question is at the heart of this passage. Do you know who God is? It's a question that Pharaoh has to answer. But it's not merely a question for Pharaoh. It's actually a question for the Israelites. You see, we have a, a group of people whose situation goes from bad to worse. A people whose lives are already miserable becomes unbearable because of the oppression of Pharaoh. But I would argue that the worst part of the story is how the Israelites responded to this oppression. They forgot who God was and is. They forgot whose they were. Not completely forget, I'm sure they had knowledge of him, but I wanna make a case that their true God was their convenience, their comfort. And in that way, this passage is actually relatable to us today because the Israelites' struggle is actually our struggle, isn't it? Is God just a means to your convenience? Does God exist for your needs, for the things that you want? Or, or let me ask it this way. When you cry out to God, why are you crying out to him? Because you see, the word of God reminds us today that the true worshiper cries out to God, not primarily for guidance, not primarily for freedom, but they cry out for God to be their master, though whatever may come their way. Now, when we hear that word master, it has a negative connotation. When we think of the word master, the word associated to that is slave, and there's a knee-jerk reaction against that word. But what we're, what we're going to see is that having God as our master is actually the best thing for us. And so here's the gospel truth for us today, the one-sentence summary uh, for today's sermon. The true believer cries out to God, not ultimately for freedom, but they cry out to God to be their master. The true believer cries out to God, not ultimately for freedom, but they cry out for God to be their master. And so let's reflect on God's word under these points. The rescue in order to worship, the struggle of worship, and then the worship in order to rescue. Let's look at the first point, the rescue in order to worship. I want to give you a little context by quickly summarizing the beginning of Exodus. This takes place after Joseph's generation. I know that we're currently going through a series in the life of Joseph. This new king does not know Joseph. And by this time, the Israelites have multiplied greatly. This king is doing everything in his power to oppress God's people, oppress the Israelites. He sets slave drivers who harshly dealt with the people of God. And so consequently, the Israelites lived a very bitter life. Well, the slavery, the oppression in Egypt became so unbearable that God, in his compassion, 
responds to the groanings, the cries of Israel. And so God sets in motion a plan to save his people from slavery. God would save his people through his servant Moses. And so in chapters 3 and 4, we see God appearing to Moses and preparing him to go to Egypt to rescue his people. Well, this is how chapter 4 ends. This is verse 31 of chapter 4. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What we have here is a beautiful picture of the people of God receiving and believing the good news of salvation. And they what? They worshiped. Salvation is near, finally. There's good news, there's hope. This is the moment they've been waiting for. And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and Moses speaking as God's representative says to Pharaoh, let my people go. I wanna bring two things to your attention. First, we need to keep in mind that when God first called Moses, it didn't come without resistance, without hesitation. Moses didn't immediately obey and, and go straight to Pharaoh. No, no, no. He had a lot of reservations. But here he is now facing the most powerful man with boldness saying, let my people go. Back when I was in high school, there was this one time I almost got into a fight. I, I've never got into a physical altercation before, but there was this one time I almost did. Now, just for a bit of context, as, as Pastor Dan mentioned, I grew up in Caldwell, two towns over from Montclair. I was a senior at the time, and I just finished gym. And as I was leaving the locker room heading to my next class, these two underclassmen were horsing around. They bumped into me, and I, I hit my locker pretty hard. Now, I could have walked away. I should have walked away. Youth group, you walk away from that situation every time. <laughs> Now, I don't know if they bumped me on purpose or if it was uh, by accident, but it didn't matter. I felt like I needed to save face in front of my friends. So I, I started walking towards this underclassman. I wasn't going to fight him. I just wanted to intimidate it a little. Send him a message that you can't do that. You can't do that to an upperclassman. Well, things escalated real quickly because as I approached him, he picks up his tennis racket and he looked at me like he was getting ready to swing. Guess what I did next? This was really foolish of me, and definitely not my proudest moment, but I stared him down, and I said, do it. You won't. Do it. But deep down inside, I said, I'm saying, please don't do it. Please don't hit me. <laughs> now, now, what happened was actually pretty anticlimactic. He, he dropped his racket, and he walked away. He was a bigger man that day. Now, the story doesn't sound like a big whoop. But what I failed to realize at that time was that I wasn't just messing with any underclassmen. As soon as the fight was over, my friend rushed to my side and he said, Dave, you shouldn't have done that. I said, what do you mean? I, I could have taken him. I sized him up. I could have taken him. Yeah, but do you know who his father is? I don't care who his father is. His father is a judge. So what? He's not just any judge. He's the superior court judge. What? So He's the Supreme Court judge of the United States. You know who that was? That underclassman was Phil Alito, as in he's the son of the Supreme Court judge, Justice Alito. <laughs> this guy's dad was the highest judge in America. I was clearly messing with the wrong guy. He probably could have had me suspended, expelled, maybe deported, I don't know. <laughs> I was messing with the wrong dude. But, but looking back, 
if I were to go back to that day, I wish when my friend had said, do you know who his father is? That's Justice Alito, Supreme Court Judge of the United States. When he had said that, I wish I had the theological maturity back then to have said, yeah, don't you know who my father is? The Lord God, judge of all creation, drop mic and walk out the ring. <laughs> you know, maybe this is why the once feeble and hesitant Moses has now the audacity to stand up against the most powerful man on the earth. Perhaps Moses is finally beginning to understand. He's finally convinced the power of God. But here's the second and more important thing I want to point out. We need to understand that though Moses is the one speaking to Pharaoh, Moses is speaking as God's mouthpiece. So in fact, it's the Lord who's saying, I am the God of Israel, and you, Pharaoh, need to let my people go. My people have been oppressed. My people have endured unjust suffering. My people have been serving the wrong master. And church, what we see here is something so powerful. God is saying to Pharaoh, this group of people that you think belong to you, that serve you, no, 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 they actually belong to me. They're mine. Do you see what's going on here? God is defining who his people are. There's a relationship there. But here's the thing. Pharaoh also has a relationship to God. But here's the difference. Here's a key difference. Pharaoh can only have a relationship with God as judge. You see, all of us in this room, we're going to have to give an account to the Lord one day as judge. But for those whom God has adopted as sons and daughters, we have the privilege now of approaching him, not as judge, but as father. There's a pastor, author, Sinclair Ferguson, who, who once said, the notion that we are children of God his own sons and daughters lies at the heart of all Christian theology and is the mainspring of all Christian living. In other words, the way we view God and ourselves affects our day-to-day. -day. It affects our worship. Because it's only when we see our status as God's adopted children, as his sons and daughters, we understand the heart of God, the Father. And what we're seeing here is a stark contrast between God and Pharaoh. God is not like Pharaoh, a, a tyrant who is waiting for us to mess up so that he could smite us. No, if you carefully read scripture, God, who unlike Pharaoh, hears the cries of his people and responds in compassion. A merciful God, a God slow to anger and abounding in love. You want to have an authentic relationship with God, this is where it starts. We must know him as our father. And when we see the Father's heart, why wouldn't you want to go and celebrate who he is? Why wouldn't you want to throw your father a festival, a feast? And that's exactly what Moses is asking of Pharaoh. Let the people of God go so that we can hold a festival for him in the wilderness. We want to worship him. We want to celebrate him. Let us go so that we could do that. You know, there are two parts of the day I look most forward to. The first is when I drop off my kids at daycare. It's freedom. <laughs> Peace and quiet at home. I, I can work. Ironically, the second part of the day I look most forward to is when I go pick them up. Without fail, every time I pick them up, as soon as they see me, I'm greeted with, Daddy! And they run to the door, and we just we embrace each other. It's one of the best feelings in the world. 
You know what has never once happened? When my kids see me for pickup, they've never said, oh, there's Mr. Lee, I guess it's time to go home. No, there's never been hesitation. There's never once been a time where they had to ask their teacher, should I go with that man? <laughs> to their friends, I'm Mr. Lee, but to my kids, I'm daddy. And as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought, I wish I greeted God the way my kids greet me at pickup. I don't remember the last time I was that enthusiastic. I don't remember the last time I did that. Here we are on Father's Day, a day when we celebrate our earthly fathers. But friends, I want to remind you that every Sunday is a day where we get to celebrate God, our Father. A day when we sing of who He is and what He's done. And I wonder how many of us, myself included, came into this worship service this morning wanting to celebrate the Father? How many of us worship with the correct understanding of who God is? Because worship shouldn't be a chore. Worship isn't something we primarily do or give. We worship in response to who he is and what he's done. And so it should be, it is a celebration. That's what we, why we get together on Sunday mornings. Worship is the proper response to the gospel. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, Sunday morning isn't something we always cherish. It often feels like a chore. It's not something we're delighted to do. No, it often feels like a duty. We're not running to celebrate our Father. No, we're often dragging our feet into worship. We act like we're doing God a favor by showing up. There are many weeks and days where the worship of God, the celebration of the Father, is not priority in our lives. It's not. And if we're truthful with ourselves, it is a struggle. And we're going to see why under our next point, the struggle of worship. After Moses and Aaron make their request before Pharaoh, he doesn't respond in a way that they had hoped for. They're caught off guard. But they shouldn't have been caught off guard. Because just in the preceding chapter, God says to Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. And so when Pharaoh objects, when he refuses, the leaders of Israel shouldn't have been surprised. Things were going exactly how God had laid it out for them. And so the elders, the overseers of Israel should have reassured the people, Israel, don't worry. Don't panic. God has got this. God hasn't deserted us. God hasn't forgotten about us. This is all going according to his plan. He hasn't changed his mind. So the confusion isn't with God. The confusion is with the people. And we're left with this question. Why did Israel collapse so easily? Why did they become so hopeless? Why do they seem defeated? I want to propose to you three reasons. The first and most obvious reason was the physical reason. Just when things seemed as bad as they could be, Pharaoh makes them worse. They have to work harder than ever. The, the Israelites were utterly desperate, facing impossible demands. And they were getting whipped for failing to meet these demands. Think about the physical torture. They're working in temperatures over 100 degrees under the hot Egyptian sun. No proper protection, no proper hydration. And many of them died because of this. The conditions were excruciatingly unbearable, and they had to meet an unreasonable quota, bricks without straw. And so understandably, Israel is angry. They're frustrated that they have to work themselves to death 
because of the predicament that Moses had put them in. They physically couldn't meet Pharaoh's demands. But I want to point out that there's a bigger problem here. You know, I shared earlier how I never got into a physical fight. Uh, there was that one time in high school I almost did, but that doesn't mean I never got into a verbal fight. One of the worst arguments that I had was with my wife uh, around this time a few years back. Don't worry, I have her permission to share the story. <laughs> it was my first son's first birthday. That was a pretty big deal. His birthday party was, happened to fall on a Sunday. And I remember leading up to that day, I was exhausted. It was a long, long week at church, missions prep, sermon prep, just a tiring day at church. After service, I was looking forward to the party. I just wanted to relax and enjoy this time. We get to the party, and I can't enjoy it. Why not? Because my wife is barking orders. The decorations, the designs, they had to be perfect for Instagram. Can I get a drink first? No, the, the guests are going to be here soon. Can I just sit down? No, get this stuff from the car. It's bricks without straw. <laughs> I just wanted to get through the party. She was impatient, I was impatient, and I lost it. I snapped. It wasn't a good day. Though here's the thing. None of my complaints had to do with my son's celebration. You know, it's one thing if I told her, today is, a, is about Micah. Let's celebrate him. Let's make sure he's having a good time. No, it's about me. Why can't I get a drink? Why can't I sit down? I'm so tired. I just wanted to relax. I just wanted to eat. My primary concern was me. And we see something similar with the Israelites in today's text. In verse 15, we read, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? I want you to pay very careful attention to that text. Nowhere does it say that Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why aren't you letting us go so that we can worship our God? Pharaoh, we're so fed up with you. We're so angry at you because you're making us work instead of, us, instead of allowing us to worship God. We don't see that in our text. God isn't even in the picture. You see, Israel wasn't outraged because the worship of God was in jeopardy. No, they were outraged because their own comfort was being threatened. Yes, Israel's physical problem was atrocious, but the bigger problem was that the God who promised to rescue Israel wasn't even acknowledged. There's one more problem I see in today's text, and I think it's the saddest of them all. Israel was looking to the wrong master. In other words, Israel was looking for salvation in the wrong place. Verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. They came and cried to Pharaoh. You know, when I first read this, it didn't make any sense. Why would they cry out to Pharaoh? Why would they cry out to the one who was oppressing them? Why would they cry out to the one who was making their lives miserable? Shouldn't Israel have cried out to God? But here we see they cry out to Pharaoh. But if you think about it, it makes sense that they cried out to Pharaoh. Sadly, these Israelites did not know life outside of slavery. This is what they had been accustomed to their entire lives. And so naturally, they thought by appeasing Pharaoh, they could find salvation. But what they failed to realize is that they cannot please their master. Their master cannot be their savior. Why not? Because a master is someone who always demands more and more from you. That's exactly what we see in today's text. Go now and work. 
No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. You see, what Israel needs is a savior who will rescue them out of slavery. And the same is true for us today. We need someone to rescue us, not out of the hands of Pharaoh, but I want to make a case that we have a harsher taskmaster than Pharaoh, sin. Sin is the harshest of taskmasters. And I wonder how many of us return to the same sin over and over, trying to negotiate with it, trying to renegotiate with it, trying to appease it, trying to please it. And I want us to come to the realization that there is no such thing as pleasing sin. Like Pharaoh, sin will always demand more and more from us while giving less and less to us. Unlike Pharaoh who demands more and more, what you and I need, what Israel needs is a Savior who will give more and more of himself. And this leads us to our last point, the worship in order to rescue. If we continue to read the Exodus account, we learn that God is faithful to his promise. He will one day deliver the people of Israel. He is faithful to the covenantal promise. Moses will be that Savior who leads Israel out of slavery. But I want you to notice that salvation is not just freedom from slavery. The whole purpose of Israel's emancipation is so they could worship and celebrate God the Father. And so if we continue reading the Exodus account, we learn that Israel terribly fails. They forget about God. Israel, God's firstborn son, ends up failing in every single way. When they should have been celebrating God, they celebrate and whore after false gods. And church, I want us to pause here and I want us to reflect on our own lives. Does your life revolve around the celebration, the worship of who your father is and what he's done for you? As you look into your heart, what false gods are you celebrating? Are you worshiping? Are you working for? As you look back on this past week, what false gods did you try to negotiate with? In what ways have we failed to worship God, the Father? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, after much deep reflection, we're, we're just like Israel. You see, Israel not only needed a Savior who could rescue them from physical slavery, but they, as do we, need a Savior who can rescue us from our spiritual slavery. And as great as Moses is and was, he can never be that Savior. Friends, the great news for us today is that our Father who was committed to Israel back then is committed to the church today. But we need to be careful too because we can make the same mistakes that Israel did. We don't begin by looking at ourselves or thinking of ways to save ourselves. We must not cry out to masters who cannot save us. We must not even begin by looking for freedom, but we must begin by looking to the right master. We begin by looking at the true Israel, Jesus Christ. You see, unlike Israel who fails to worship God in every way, we see Jesus Christ, God's perfect son, worship God, celebrate the Father every single moment of his life. The entirety of Jesus' life was worship, worship, worship of the Father. And towards, his end, towards the end of his earthly life, we see Jesus, just like Israel, cry out to the Father. But whereas Israel's cries were heard by God and responded with compassion, Christ's cries were met with deafening silence. He was forsaken. He goes to the sinner's cross, dying a sinner's death, the most unbearable of conditions. 
And on that cross, we see Jesus taking our sins. We see his worship, his obedience to the Father's will, even obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of Christ's obedience, we who place our trust in him, we now have the right, the privilege of crying out, Abba, Father. Church, no other gods will die for you. All these other gods will take and take from you, but in Christ, we have a master who doesn't demand, a master who doesn't take, a master who tells us to lay our burdens down, a master who gives and gives to you. And because of Jesus, we have a song to sing. We have a reason to celebrate God every waking moment of our lives. As you reflect on the person and work of the gospel, may your hearts be drawn to submit and serve the true master, the true savior, Jesus Christ. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be your hope of salvation, not just today, but every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our Father, and we thank you for giving us a song to sing. That song is Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you have heard our cries and have welcomed us, not as mere guests or servants, but you have adopted us as sons and daughters, giving us a right at the table, giving a right into your kingdom Thank you for being our God. And Lord, as we reflect on this gospel, may we gladly and joyfully respond in obedience to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.